Hey, Samantha, how's it going? Good, good. Um, how are you? Good, good. Uh, it's good. I am. We're like ending the modern manhood season. It's it's been it's been a long time. <laughs> it's been yeah. like months, right? Of this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's kind of surreal. <laughs> That's right. It's been six months of the season of modern manhood. And much more for us individually, actually, since we've been planning it. It's been almost a year, honestly. But for Charlie, it's been a young lifetime. The last time we left Charlie, he was playing basketball, taking his shot. And then after the game, we talked about his drawings. And then he started drawing and drawing and drawing some more. He asked us if he could take some art lessons. And then we found out he was kind of a savant. You know, I I knew that he was. And it's weird because I love art too, but it was basketball, the thing that I pushed him to pursue. Mm. I learned my lesson and I think it's working out for Charlie. And you know how I know that? It's because Charlie came home one day with a giant letter in his hand and a nervous smile. The letter is from a school that's out of state, a prestigious school. When I asked him to open it up, the first thing it said, congratulations. You've been accepted. And all I've heard was happy yelling and screaming and hugging and jumping up and down. After the ecstasy, though, came my worry. He's graduating. Hello? Now what? (laughs) This is Modern Manhood. Today, we send Charlie off to college in our final episode of the season titled How to Be a Man. And to do that, we're going to get to the people that have been with us all along, the people in Next Gen Men. So to break this episode down to its nitty gritty, though, and you've heard her right at the top, I have to talk to Samantha, of course. How were, what were you thinking when you were leaving high school? Like, Like, what were the expectations that you had wow um i i don't think i had any expectations i think i was excited to go to college i was a really good student so like i i Mm -hmm. was confident in my ability to at least take care of the school aspect of it i think that i was probably thinking about like the kind of guys that i was going to meet in college and like if they Mm -hmm. were going to be different and you know i was excited to have people that were older than me again and, and and explore that and i remember that I didn't know what was going to be next for my guy friends. Like I knew we were going to stay in touch. At least I'd hope so. I hoped so. The expectation of school was something I faced as well. You know, I wasn't particularly good at school. I never really was. And honestly, I wasn't that good at sports. I mean, I talked a big game, but that's about it. However, at the time, at 18, I had confidence that it was going to be okay. You know, it's the same confidence that I see with Charlie, and I see the exact same excitement that I had. It's the same feeling that Jake Sticka, the executive director of Next Gen Men, felt when he was 18. I was being an idiot when I was 18. So uh, in Canada, drinking ages vary by props. And so I graduated high school, uh, I guess it would have been like late June. And my birthday is June 24th. And so 
I, I turned 18 right at the end of high school. And at that point in time, I'd committed to a university in Ontario and their drinking age is 19. And so I was like, shit, I have like two months to enjoy being legal drinking age. And um, that sounds really mischievous. And, and I definitely took some advantage of it. Jake had the same idea that Charlie had. He wanted to leave home. And this is something that was common in a lot of the people I talked to. This idea of independence. Finally. Independence from your old life. Independence from your youth. Independence from your town, your parents, and your old responsibilities. And when you move across the country and nobody knows you, you can be absolutely authentic and just be, this is who I am. And... That was really exciting. Definitely wanted to get away, um, but it was hard, you know. Um, on the one hand, it was hard because uh, you don't have friends or social connections. You're trying to find your people. My name is Jonathan. My pronouns are he and him. I am a young man. I'm calling from Toronto right now. And uh, how do I define what I do? I'm the youth program manager with Next Gen Men, which means I coordinate, facilitate, um, and develop programs um, mostly with young adolescent boys on things like mental health, healthy relationships, and gender equality. Jonathan, who you just heard, not only knows about adventure, he knows about the youth of today. You know, they connect with him all the time, as well as the many other youth workers within Next Gen Men. But at 18, Jonathan, just like Jake, wanted to get away. I was 18 turning 19. Um, and I lived in France for the school year. And I don't know exactly what it is about that year that makes that kind of the turning point for me. But certainly there was a lot of independence, you know, navigating um, a foreign bank account, um, a student visa, um, like different sort of micro adventures like hitchhiking and camping and um, getting into all kinds of um, like, I wouldn't say trouble, but getting into like, like situations, you know, that, you know, I didn't have that safety net that I had back home. But hearing all these guys, I think they all have a commonality and one, maybe I wasn't ready to admit to myself when I was 18. Honestly, if I'm looking back, I was scared for the next step. When I was in high school, I didn't know what I really wanted to do, except that it had to do with computers, <laughs> because at the time, that's what everyone was talking about. Man, I wish I would have known that before I head into university, because I had to change. I had to change my majors, I had to change all my expectations, because I was terrible at computers, <laughs> and I went somewhere else. You know, I kind of worry about that with Charlie. You know, I'm sure that he's at the beginning of like actually taking a look at what that really means for him. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, for him, what I really wish is to have the opportunity to when he goes to college, be able to explore that. You know, like don't get stuck in a bunch of engineering classes where you have no room to like explore any of the social like any of the social um 
sciences that mm-hmm. might point to that direction. And not, not, not to say that ge- that they always do point to gender, but at least there'll be some sort of like reflection. I didn't have anybody like holding my hand or anything like that. And I'm curious, is that what you felt as well? I was a little bit more, um, I guess, decisive when I was younger. So I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I went in, I was like one of those people who was like constantly checking to see which classes were available and rechecking and redoing my schedule and planning and planning. And I don't know, I just really, really liked it. So I do feel like, like if I'm thinking about my friends, you know, more thoughtfully, I feel like there was a gendering of like, girls are expected to do better in school than guys are, you know? Yeah. And it's curious because that, that really, um, reminds me of like this conversation that we have about the education gap, uh, the education gap between um, men and women. The education gap is the fact that right now there are more women than men in universities and in colleges. So from the Atlantic article titled Colleges Have a Guy Problem, which we'll link in the descriptions below, quote, American colleges and universities now enroll roughly six women for every four men. This is the largest female-male gender gap in the history of higher education, and it's getting wider. Last year, U.S. colleges enrolled 1.5 million fewer students than five years ago. The Wall Street Journal recently reported men accounted for more than 70% of the decline. And this gap tells us how a lot of men look at post-secondary education, which is much different than what I believe women look at post-secondary education. Mm-hmm. I think for boys, um, that sense that pipeline of success is through sports. Um, and I know we just talked about the sports episode, but the pipeline of success for women is education. Is that, do you think that's right? That is like very succinctly put. I would say, see the thing about this, is this is an interesting way to put it because I don't really know that it's a pipeline for women. Women don't have to earn their womanhood. Mm. So it, it's not really necessarily like a pipeline to something, but it is expected because women are expected to stay on top of their shit. They are expected right. to get their things done or whatever, because then they have to go and take care of other people. Right. So, right. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So it's like weird. Cause it, it, it eventually becomes this like specific dynamic, but I, I do think that they're, you know, they exist in separate kind of different lenses. And let's not kid ourselves. The gender gap does exist in the workforce, that a lot of the higher earned positions are usually employed by men. And colleges positions have been dominated by women. And that's just been a standard for colleges since the 80s. We talked in the last episode about how sports can become a pipeline for young men's incomes and the pressures that can bring to your manhood if you cannot play sports and pay the bills. What if you can play sports and then it just doesn't work out for you? This is what happened to Jake, who was a basketball player in high school and then played in college. Yeah, I mean, um, in the sense of like, where where am I in this ranking, right? Like, because we live in a culture of competition and domination. And on the one hand, like being like the star basketball player for my high school, that afforded me a certain level of status. But on the other hand, like, shy and awkward with girls i didn't have like a strong like click like i kind of floated between circles um i 
was smart, but I didn't want to be seen as smart and, you know, like um, those kinds of things. So I, I don't know. I felt really conflicted at the end of high school. Okay, sure. You were the, you know, runner up for player of the year in your hometown. You're on the bench. You're like red shirted. Like I remember early on, um, I sucked. Like, like the, the adjustment from like being top dog in high school to bottom of the rung in university, like coach took me aside and coach was like a super problematic dude, pulled me aside like early on and was like, if I knew you were this bad, you wouldn't have made the team. Right. And like, yeah, huge, huge kick in the ass. I was academically ineligible to play. Um, and up until that point in my life, I was Jake, the basketball player. I didn't have another identity. And so that really rocked me. And my coping mechanism was binge drinking and, and partying and fistfights, right? Like um, I was like a scarily aggressive dude at 19. And um, yeah, so that, that was hard. Um, and that, and at 19, I ended up flunking out of the first university I went to. And, um, you know, the options laid out to me were like, okay, drag my tail between my legs and go back home to Alberta or like figure something else out. The pressure to perform masculinity is always there. And the pressure I would say is there from when you are younger to when you're older, as we kind of alluded here throughout this whole season. For many men, it just doesn't go away. It just evolves. This is Jonathan. But certainly by grade one, grade two, um, I do remember having a really strong sense of what was allowed for me and what was not. And, and, and part of the reason is because I grew up with a twin sister and so and we had similar interests. And so I did ballet when I was probably maybe five or six years old. And... Um, and, and, and I, and in sharing that part of myself with my peers at school, I got laughed at. And so I pretty quickly learned there's clothing I can't wear and there's hobbies that I can't share or interests that I can't indicate that I have, because if I do, I'm going to become a target. For Trevor Mayo, a consultant for equity leaders at Next Gen Men, 18 years old is an exciting time years is such an exciting time. So for me, it was a point of significant change and evolution um, for, for Trevor. I think what's exciting about hitting that milestone and that age, I mean, it's symbolic for so many different reasons, because now you are legally an adult. And it's symbolic because in a way, it's a time to shed old identities. It was the moment where you get to decide whoever you want to be. You've left high school. Um, you're now at a point in your life where you say, okay, who is the person that I'm looking forward to being in the near future or the long term? Um, which is exciting because if you, for whatever reason, had to shield certain aspects of that um, in high school or because of different like pressures of, of when you were younger. And I think this, this is at the heart of the issue. Yes, we can say that at 18, you become an adult, man even and the pressures and responsibilities that come with it. But do you really? But you're also at that point where, like, 
do you now get to shut that off? And are you now open to new social pressures and norms that are now still sort of like pushing on you in different ways? More at the break. This episode of Modern Manhood is brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown and community supported. This podcast could not be here without the continued support of the APN. And I'm happy to be alongside some amazing podcasts and friends, honestly. One of my favorite podcasts on the network is called That's a Thing? Where amazing person and human Karen Unland gets schooled by her equally awesome daughter and son on what the heck Gen Z is talking about. You know, I love listening to this podcast because I get to catch up on memes and music and what the youth are talking about today. Because this whole season is about young people, it's fitting that you go out and find out what they're actually talking about. So go find That's a Thing along with many awesome podcasts at the Alberta Podcast Network.com. So that's the Alberta Podcast Network.com. This is a <clears throat> conversation that happens around masculinity circles all the time. It's like, oh, that men need these rites of passage. So this conversation specifically about rites of passages. You know, how a boy becomes a man was inherited mainly from the mythopoetic men's movements in the 90s. Although you can say it all started when we started panicking about the lack of father figures for young men. If I were to label the flavor of masculinity panic that happens over and over again, I would label it the quote-unquote missing father. <laughs> and honestly, this type of discourse around rites of passages basically mentions that because men since the industrial age have not been at home as much as, say, when we were farming and whatnot, young boys have been made to be raised by the mothers in their life. That's how the saying goes. Therefore, these young men don't have that guidance to tell them when they're not a man or not, because as the discourse goes, you know, how can a woman tell them to be a man? Oh, also, women, of course, have rites of passages. It's when they get their period. That's just, this is how the conversation usually goes around rites of passages. Now, not only is this specific type of discourse sexist, it's heteronormative as well. And also, in some cases, racially coded. Because the lack of father figures is a stereotypical and racist caricature of black families. So... I'm naturally a little cynical about how the rites of passages conversation gets played out. Because usually when men think of how a boy learns to be a man, it's through traditional and sometimes toxic means. Either it's like a first fist fight, the first time you fire a gun, the first time you go hunt and kill something, or maybe it's the first time you have sex with a woman. And as Samantha notes, Masculinity tells us that we have these tests of masculinity all the damn time. When I'm thinking of rites of passage, I'm thinking about like, when, like the times when people say you're a man now or, oh, you're, you know, you're, you know, you're kind of flower. I mean, I guess the, the only time really that happens for women is through puberty. By the time we're 18, right. that's already gone. So, yeah. Um, which is unfortunately the reason why so many, you know, young girls are being, are sexualized. Right. So like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, even before puberty, but yeah, yeah, I feel like rites of passage, like you get punched in the nose. It's like, all right, that's like mm -hmm. a very defined action that happened to you. So I was curious and I asked the guys this, when was the first time they actually felt they became a man? For Jonathan is when he lived abroad. 
so I lived in Grenoble and um, and I flew into Lyon and then took the took a bus and then took a streetcar and nobody picked me up you know no one no one no one uh, was my, I had no welcoming committee it was actually quite difficult to find my dorm and to find the right person to sort of register with and find my room keys like I had to do that there was nobody there was no welcoming committee whatsoever and I do remember the sensation of being on the streetcar being like geez like I like it's like a foreign country in a foreign language and it's just me it's and I'm the only one I've got right now and I do remember that feeling of of challenge and there's a bit of fear for Jake it was when he felt his biggest hardship after he got kicked out of college and so that question that you talked about of like feeling like a man I think that was it when I like took responsibility for my life and like, um, you know, got my shit together within sports, within school. I had started dating someone and like had, that was my first like serious relationship. And so that was probably when I really felt like, like a man. And for Trevor, it was finding out the masculinity in high school didn't match up to the others. But I wasn't a jock. Um, and I didn't, I mean, I, I wasn't like, hooking up with girls or, or dating girls in high school. And so like, really for me, my masculinity was like, okay, what does that actually mean? Right? Like I'm not the most popular. I'm, I'm not hooking up with or dating people. I am not on like the football team or the rugby team. So what is that? So how does that position me in this space? And so, yeah, for me, there was a lot of like questioning what that meant. And I got to tell you for me, I didn't question my manhood until I started dating people. You know, my whole young life, I was always looking at school thinking I had to find a person to crush on. And I was really looking forward to having a girlfriend. But also feeling like that wouldn't happen. And not that I was prepared for it either. I didn't feel like a man until I had a girlfriend. And trust me, I was not prepared for it. Because I have learned a lot in these years. You know, I've learned about relationships. I've learned about, you know, consent. And I've learned about um, emotional hardship as well. And I can truly say that I didn't know that when I was turning 18. I didn't truly know what I was doing when, even when I turned 24. Yet, when we look at boys from the age of 18 to 24, what do we think of them? I'm not excited to give this answer, but like it's a reflection of where we're at socially. And I think it's polarized. I think there's one camp that is like incredibly worried about young men, especially white young men and like what they're going to be missing or lacking or left behind or those kinds of things. Right. There's that's one camp. And then the other camp is like, kind of the flip side of that, like vilifying them and being like, you don't have anything to be like worried about. You still like exist within all these structures and those kinds of things. And like, the problem is both of them are right. I don't think we're serving young men in this way in, or at least in the way that we could, or we should be doing on this. And I think to a lot of friends that have young boys that I know, right? Like a lot of my friends and like, and the challenge that I think, again, we have is that we think we're doing more than we actually are. They talk about it and be like, oh, I would I, I, like you talk to the parents like I would be totally cool if my son um, wanted to paint their nails or if I my son 
was crying and like talked to them that emotion's okay and all that. But everything that they're basing that on is reactive instead of being proactive in terms of the way that we're actually engaging. And I kind of understand sometimes that instant, like that, that, that gut feeling, because at some point young people do need to take responsibility for themselves. But I also think that sometimes young men do just, just end up sort of painted with a really broad brush and, and um, yeah. And I think they're, you know, like, I, I, I don't know, sometimes I hesitate to be, hesitate to be gender specific and, you know, cause I think this kind of thing happens with a lot of young people, I guess, like share our vision for like a supportive and safe community. I think there's, there are schools and there's, you know, workplaces that are trying to start to focus on that, but I think it's a big gap. So this is what I'm worried about with Charlie is that during this age, this critical age, I feel like we think the learning is over. We know developmentally that a person's brain doesn't stop developing until they're about 25 years of age, give or take. Yet for young men, traditionally, we say after high school, it's all up to you. We know that men's prefrontal cortex doesn't finish growing until 25, right? So that's like seven years where we can still do like a lot of work in forming that higher level thinking. That's why so many young men make so many bad decisions at that age, right? And so... Like, how do we get to that? Um, knowing that, you know, they're not going to sign themselves up for a program to talk about healthy masculinity. And if they do, then they're, you know, probably from social justice backgrounds and those kinds of things. And that's great, but that's not the mainstream at that age. How do we instill the right things when a situation comes up that they can say, what is my code? What are my values? What are my principles? Am I in conflict with this? Am I contradicting this? Or am I living within that, right? We kind of leave them alone to find their own way. Yet, that's not how community works, right? We also think by that time that our established version of gender is solid. I mean, is that even true? So do you think that like by 18, by 25, that that notion of gender, their specific thoughts around, uh, not specific, I mean specifically, if we're talking about boys, specifically thoughts about masculinity um, is already so in depth and so like in that it's hard to shake there's there's less access of people kind of like questioning or just being like hey is this right like (laughs) like this the performance of masculinity or just the performance of gender there's the the way i'm thinking about this is like you know if we think of gender as a system right it's Mm -hmm. like the building blocks of said system you you you've got the moment where you're you're building the system. So if you think of gender like masculinity as said system, mm-hmm. then by the time you hit eighteen, the system is just doing what it's doing, right? Yeah. It's like a pencil sharpener is not wondering how it's par- like like sharpening a pencil. It just knows that every day it's going to sharpen a pencil. It's like like steering the tide, like steering a, a big cruise ship. It'll it takes a long a lot of things to move at the same time. Well, in the and- sense that like you're not then going to stop and be like. Hmm. Is this even the cruise ship that I'm trying to have? Yeah. Is, is this who? I, you know what I, this is what I mean. Like, you yeah, totally. Stop and be like, who am I as a cruise ship? You're like, I gotta go fucking be a cruise ship. So my worry and fear for Charlie is that he's going to go into this brand new world outside of the comforts of home and be scared, like I was. So in the span of this conversation, which has again been about 45 minutes, um, there's been three different young boys who've reached out to me and I actually I just got really distracted in answering a question because my phone was ringing um, because this kid is like can you please talk 
as you know, as any as someone who's listening to this, who's who's caring about boys and young men, I think you have a responsibility to reach out to people that you know that are, for example, teenage. I think you have a responsibility to reach out to teenage boys and say, "What's going on?" and let's and you know let's catch up and how can i support you in your life to end this episode and this season i want to speak from a place of personal experience and from my heart i don't have a charlie in my life in fact i don't have any children so to do the season as a note of how strange gendering is for boys throughout their young life was well, it was a little strange. <laughs> it was definitely a journey to construct my own feelings around children, boyhood, and my own past, honestly. In reality, it's always been an open question for me. You know, do I have kids or not? I've had many discussions with parents simultaneously telling me how tiring and amazing it is. And I believe it. Someone described raising a child as a complex problem. You know, if we have a recipe, we can usually bake the same cake looking the same way, always. If we have the expertise, the material, and we have the calculations, we can make a rocket that goes to the moon, and we can do it over and over again. If we have the expertise, the resources, and we parent the same way with two different children, there are no guarantees that they were going to turn out the same. In fact, they most likely won't. So it's been wild to think of myself as a caregiver for Charlie. I mean, with you, of course. And really putting myself in those shoes that many caregivers already live in, and that making the right decision is never easy. And you already know it's right until <laughs> so much later. The thought of it, honestly, is a bit scary. But it's also kind of sweet. I guess that's what parenting is all about. <laughs> As a person from the outside and a person who's not a parent or a caregiver or even just a person that is in my community, all I can do is to not only help people and be the mentors of those people of all genders, beat the odds, but change them completely. I mean, that's what the people of Next Gen Men do, and I'm proud to serve them. As for Charlie, his next adventure, you know, this is, this is what I want for him. There's just so much more not to experience, but also people to, to meet and like, like, like cultures to 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 visit and like like countries to visit and like. There's so much more to life than just than than just what happened in school, and I think that that's sometimes a worry that I have for young people. It's just that that's mm -hmm. I think school is it, and then yeah. that'll be out of it. But there's just a lot more to that. You know what I mean? I think that's that's like my thing that I that I wanted to to talk about Charlie about. You know. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, freedom, right? Yeah, freedom. This season of Modern Manhood was created by myself, Herman Vijegas, along with my friends from New York, California, England, and Ecuador, from my Philip, Samantha Nsezi, Amanda Wang, and Danny Perez. With support from everyone at Next Gen Men and the Next Gen Men Circle, as well as the amazing folks at the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown and community supported. If you want to support more amazing podcasts and the services created by Next Gen Men, please consider donating or subscribing to join the Next Gen Men family at nextgenmen.ca slash join. I wish everyone a great holiday season and a wonderful new year, and hope you can stick by us 
because we have a lot more for Modern Manhood. Take care. Thank you.